everybody. Thanks for tuning in. This is the Live Life Dress Podcast. Sincere Hogan, that's me. And my partner, Mike Mahler, on the other line. Another great show coming at you, folks. As yeah, man, we have uh, one of my favorite bands on, well, one of the singers for one of my favorite bands on the show today, so we're going to get to him in a second. Right. And if some people are going, man, you've had Madball on, you've had John Joseph from the Chromex on. <laughs> like, I don't know about, <laughs> like, I don't know about your music taste, but I was like, I don't care what you think about my music taste. My show, man, or our show. <laughs> we'll have on who we want. But like, how about having so and so? No, 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 no. We didn't like ask that. you about. Like we didn't that. ask you what your music taste is. We're just telling you. It's kind of like my whole business model is. I don't. I don't ask you what you think you want. I tell you what you should want. <laughs> you know, Come on, want that's what my products things, and service. You know? <laughs> yeah, my, it's funny. When I first started my business, Aggressive Strength, people were uh, advice I got from others was, "Oh, make sure you do this because that's what people are looking for. Make sure you offer this." I go, "No, no, 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 no. I'm going to offer what I think people should want. You know, what I've benefited from and what I think people should from. Sometimes people don't even know what they're looking and for. That's the thing. Most of the time they yeah. don't know what they want. Yeah. So you have to put them and bring it out of them. And they're like, oh, I, you know what? I didn't even realize I needed that. Yeah, give it to me. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing about it, man. You give people too many choices, man. They don't know what the hell they want. And that's the problem in this industry. Too many choices. Especially in health and fitness. If you leave, you leave it up to the consumer to decide what they want, it's not going to be anything good. <laughs> you know? No, that's the reason why they end up having to come to people in the health and fitness industry because of all those other choices they thought that they wanted. Or, excuse me, thought that they needed. I needed that eight bucket, that eight piece of fried chicken in that bucket. What are you talking about, man? Is there a way to have a healthy cookie three times a day? A healthy you know? cookie? A hundred calorie snack? <laughs> Yeah, but today we got a killer yeah. band on that if you haven't heard of, you're going to want to hear them after this episode because they have some of the best music that I've been listening to for years. I actually saw them live in Columbus, Ohio in 1993. And this is the band Biohazard. They were with Sick of It All and Sheer Terror. It was an incredible show. So everyone knows that I'm a big fan of New York City hardcore. I'm a fan of punk hardcore in general. And check out some of these songs by Biohazard. This is some of the best tracks, some of my favorite tracks by them. How It Is with Cypress Hill. That song's incredible. Punishment, Resist, Tales from the Hard Side, Wrong Side of the Tracks. And then from their latest album, Reborn in Defiance, Vengeance is Mine, Countdown Doom, Vows of Redemption, all killer tracks. And you can you can hear some of that stuff on YouTube. I think the whole album might be on there. I actually went to buy the album on iTunes, but I couldn't find it on there. So we'll ask Billy about that today. Yeah, it's but one today, of the things, man, it's, it's, it's funny because what people are about to hear today on this show, this is that bridge between Mike's old school life, his 90s life, and my 90s life right here because Biohazard was also one of those groups, man, that actually connected that hardcore New York underground, the metal type of music with hip hop. And right. that, I mean, it wouldn't be groups like Corn and all those guys out right now, man. Yeah, Lincoln no Park, Corn, yeah, and Biscuit, all those guys. They yeah. wouldn't be here if it weren't for Biohazard. And you know, this, it was refreshing. Mike and I were talking about this the other day. Like, you know, we, we were talking about the track that Biohazard did with Onyx. You know, and Mike was saying that you know he didn't really care for the Slam track, but he cared. He liked the other one a lot better that they did with Onyx. I was like, yeah, but the and, cool thing about that, Slam and that's was, Onyx. That's Onyx, folks, yeah. not on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Onyx. <laughs> and so the cool thing that was that was cool about that track, man, was the fact that whenever I would play that at any underground hip-hop club to sit there and see some hardcore hip-hop heads out there slam dancing at a hip-hop event 
you know, that was refreshing for me because they already thought that my the guy that I DJ with, they already thought we were weird because we listen to a lot of punk and listen to a lot of hard rock and listen to metal. And so to sit there and see them out there slam dancing, you know, to hip hop and, and really giving it a chance during the nineties, yeah. man. I mean, that was that was a breath of fresh air. You know, it's kind of hard yeah, for yeah. people to think about that now. Like, what? You, oh, that I was know. A, that was taboo back then. What are you talking about? Yeah. You know, trust me, I was the my partner, my buddy, and I. Pretty much any hardcore like show, any metal show, anything, we were always, you'd always know the black guys there. It would be him, me, and two other dudes. And we'd see each other every metal show, any rock show. We always saw each other, no matter what. Whereas now, it's, you know, it's just common, com- it's a common thing now. Yeah. So, so they really, they really created their own genre. There were bands that did rock and rap mixes. Public Enemy and Anthrax did a song, yeah. Aerosmith and Run DMC. But no one really took it into the whole rap metal genre better than Biohazard did. So you can tell that these guys went to Chromax shows, Agnostic Front shows, and then they went to Eric B and Rakim shows. Yeah, Eric B and Rakim, yeah. Rakim shows, yeah, stuff like that. And you can you can hear all those different sounds in the music. So it's a really cool genre. It's kind of hard to classify them because they're often they're often pushed into the whole hardcore genre and hardcore fans love their music. And there's definitely tones of hardcore within their music, but it goes way beyond that. Exactly. So it's really, it's really their own genre that they created. So anyway, without further ado, let's introduce our guest, Billy. How you doing today? Did we lose him? <laughs> <laughs> you don't even have him on the line, man. All this, you didn't even hear any of that stuff we were saying. I know. I think, yeah, we lost all him, right. man. I'm- all right, let's try getting him back. Yeah, he got dropped. I can see it. He no probably. Worries. I can edit this part he, out though. He probably he probably got dropped dead. So one of my favorites, and then that's yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, because I can see where his phone actually got disconnected. All right. But no problem. I can delete. I can edit all this. <laughs> you might have to do a lot of that today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hey, what's up, guys? And he's back. You didn't even, you didn't even hear all those those yeah, accolades, accolades that we gave you, man. <laughs> guys, I, I, I'm sitting there. I put it on mute because I was. You guys are talking. I didn't want to see. I knew you were recording, so I didn't want to have any background noise. Fuck with your show. So I, as soon as you guys said, "What's up, Billy?" I said, "Hey, what's up, fellas?" And I realized <laughs> I, went to, I went to press unmute and I hung up. I'm like, "Fuck!" Well, at least you at least you heard all of that. I would. <laughs> I, I I apologize. Another apology. Uh, no problem, man. No problem. We know you're a busy guy. But uh, how do you pronounce your last name, Billy? Is it Grazade? Grazia Grazade. Grazade. Yeah, okay, that, that sounds a lot. That sounds it. a lot better than what I just said. Yeah, I was, thinking, I was like, okay, maybe it's not that fancy if I say Grazade. I was like, let's maybe just be a bit exotic with Italian there. <laughs> so, so Billy, I mean, we talked about how you got basically created your own genre with Biohazard. <laughs> Your car is agreeing with me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a little, a little taste in New York. <laughs> now, you created your own genre with Biohazard. Was that was, was that the intent? What was the inspiration when you put together this band? Um, it, it, it was really weird, man. I, I got to say, there was no premeditated thought. We All we did was, you know, we were heavily into, like, just the, you know, things that we were into that weren't really not good for us. Um, we had, you know, there was the drug scenes, the, the violence, the, the, the crew that we, you know, people we hung out with. It was a, um, we were definitely on paths that were really um, negative and, and pulling us down. And, and, and we watched as we grew up, a lot of our friends and, uh, you know, family members that, um, that were alongside with us 
kind of just fell off and, and, you know, got eaten up, you know, drugs, uh, crime, jail, whatever. And, uh, and so we, we kind of got together and subconsciously we're more into making music together and jamming than we were, you know, st- you know, hanging out in the fucking corner, you know, being up to no good. Right. And it, so in a way, um, you know, it saved, you know, it saved my life. I can t- tell you that. And I don't think I, I would be anywhere near where I am in life now if, um, if it wasn't for firing. Yeah. It so, seems like a lot of bands it, have that similar story. Exactly. I was about to say, it sounds like a yeah. natural fit to why you guys are working with a lot of hip hop groups, you know, in the past, man, because it sounds like a lot of their story as well. They pretty much got into the music Bro, to it, get out of that life. It was exactly. There's a lot of parallels in that. I think, you know, we grew up, and especially a lot of urban kids grew up, you know, uh, in an environment where everyone was mixed and hung out. And I know things are more segregated here in L.A. than they are in New York. But on our corners, you know, one corner there's fucking, you know, Run DMC, BC Boys, and Sugar Hill Gang. Another corner there's fucking Iron Maiden and Judas <laughs> Priest. Another corner is AF, Cool Mags, and, and um, you know, punk rock. Yeah. yeah. So and, and you mixed and hung out and... And, and and chill with all those crews, and even though like everybody was on different things, you kind of like were the same neighborhood, and you kind of you know got a little taste of everybody else's you know likes and yeah. dislikes and stuff. So, but you learn respect really early, and the the whole the, the boundaries that that I think in some cases music um, creates in New York for us it knocked them down, and I, I remember like. This whole thing with racism and stuff. It, it, there's racism fucking everywhere, unfortunately. But yeah. we saw more shit outside of New York, and where people were like so heavily fucking racist that we were like, "There's fucking there's only white dudes here. Why? Do you, what, it, what? How do you fuck? How can you be racist?" I remember we played a show with um, Sick of It All, Cher Terra. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think who else was on the bill of it, but we had this huge riot and. In uh, Allentown, Pennsylvania, and these kids were on stage. Like it was like maybe a thousand, twelve hundred kids there, but there's a group of like maybe fifty dudes like doing like Nazi skinheads doing sea Kyle. And so we fu- and we were like we fucking stood on stage and we spoke out against it. We were like fuck you guys, keep that shit to your fucking self. We get the fuck out of the club. It's yeah. not a platform for that crap. And uh, one of our friends in the crowd with us from DC and Chris staged over. They grabbed him and they fucking beat him up. And, they, and then it all, all hell broke loose. So we're backstage, in, uh, and I don't want to keep talking about, I know it's not so much my, my story, but uh, the dude, all these kids, uh, so once we got this shit squared away, and uh, I run to the fucking front of the stage, and the, all these, the, you know, like four or five of these white power dudes come to the front of the stage, and they're throwing seat tiles, like they're throwing their hands in my face, and I'm like livid. So I step off the fucking stage, close to the barricade, and they're trying to get at me, and all they could do is they could put their, their hand right by my face. So I bit the fucking kid's hand like a pit bull, shook it like a fucking dog, and spit it out. I'm like, what, motherfucker, let's go. The kids couldn't do anything. <laughs> couldn't get at me. The uh, security guards were there. After the show, we're backstage, and the uh, security is, you know, the backstage is up, up your stairs, up um, second floor. And the security guard comes up and says, yo, there's, 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 some dude wants to talk to you. So I come out, and it's this dude with these black gloves. It's one of those, like, one of the main guys. I say, what's up, bro? And he's like, can I talk to you for a second? I'm like, sure, come on up. He comes upstairs and he's like, I, hey, man, I just wanted to, you know, I'm sorry about your friend, you know, and we don't have, it, it's 
it's cool. You're, he's your boy. We don't have really any problem with, with black people. It's just, uh, it's the Jews that we hate. I said, wait a minute. Oh, in that case, it's okay. all right. right? Well, yeah, okay. We're cool. So he, he, he goes, he's like, I'm like, first of all, the fact that you said you don't have any problem with black people, if you have it inside of you that you have to say that, it's an issue. Second of all, as I'm saying this to him, Evan, and half the band is Jewish. Evan hears, you know, the kids say this, comes across the room and he goes, oh, so you got a problem with Jews? I'm a fucking Jew. What's your problem? <laughs> and the guy goes, no, no, no. I don't have a problem with all Jews. All the bank. And me and Pete and Pickerel were looking at the guy. I'm like, we're like, yo, you're a fucking joke, bro. What the fuck is your problem? He said, well, I, I got no problem. It's just, you know, it's just the Jews that own the bank. I'm like, yo, get the fuck out of here. The guy was so backward ass. And it, we were in Allentown, Pennsylvania, bro. It was like, it was like fucking Wonder Bread fucking city. Well, dude, the show, the show okay. I, I saw that, Bill, Sheer Terror, Sick of It All, and Biohash, you guys. I saw a similar show in Columbus, Ohio, and it was just like that, where the show had to be shut down because some redneck threw a beer bottle up on the stage when Sick of It All was performing. And then the, yeah. the guys from Sick of It All jumped in the audience and roughed this dude up. You know? <laughs> this is back in the day when I guess you didn't have to worry about getting sued because they, they jumped in the audience and smacked uh -huh. this guy around. And then, yeah. I mean, the show was close to being to the end anyway, so it wasn't something where the fans were that disappointed. But it was, it was still a pain in the ass. But I like the fact that they took charge of that rather than saying, "Oh, we got to shut down now because of this and that." They, they jumped to the audience and smacked this guy around. That was cool. I'm a firm believer in that we have to police our own. You know what I mean? Yeah. We watched yeah. growing up. We watched for some reason when we came up, it, our shows always seemed like they were the meeting place to settle any kind of beef. If there was a, you know, two, two, two crews that just, you know, couldn't get on with each other, they would show up on Biohazard shows and fucking throw it out. Yeah. And we were like, what the fuck is that? It's, um, and we were always friends with both crews. So we watched it, you know, change and, and it got worse and worse. And then eventually promoters, they weren't, book, they weren't, didn't want to book Biohazard because it was so, you know, it was violent. It was, yeah. it was off the hook. Yeah. And they didn't want the liability and the, and the bullshit that came with it. That started happening towards the yes yeah, towards the late nineties. I noticed that started happening. You would see more fights at shows. I was yeah. at a Chromag show where there were fights breaking out. Where previously in the early nineties that never happened. Yeah, at least in Washington you know. D.C. where I saw shows. Exactly. Every time you could just sit there, yeah. dude, you could sit there and and slam dance or whatever, and everybody was cool with that. But then it became this issue where somebody would start a slam dance just so they could start fighting someone. Yeah, you yeah, had yeah. these kids who all hopped yeah. up, man, and might be yep. an ex or whoever or whatever else, and they would just started just so they could start fighting and use it as an excuse. Well, to they they would go into the Hit, punch it. Yeah. They would go into the pit, basically throwing punches and hoping to hit someone. And then, of course, that would start up. That would provoke a fight. So it became. Yeah. I remember the first Chrome X shows I went to around 1989. The whole place would just yeah. go nuts, but everybody was cool. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you'd get kicked in the face by accident and so forth, <laughs> yeah. but it wasn't someone with malicious intent. Exactly. You know. And then like towards the late 90s, it started changing where people would come to the shows with the intent of we're going to start a brawl. Yep. It kind of, it almost destroyed the scene. I mean, we were, I remember coming out here with the Exploited on tour, and we teamed up with the Chromags to play at the Hollywood Palladium, mm -hmm. and it was it was a bloodbath. It was insane. I we couldn't believe it. And then after the whole thing, something happened, and I, I can't remember what went down, but we get we get in a mix with all the security guards, and some of our, our boys that were friends with uh, the suicidal crew, um, they. Uh, they squashed it for us, and uh, but it was pretty heavy. We were like, in our 
it's not our neighborhood. We didn't know, you know, like what how things, you know, work around here and uh, around there. But it was yeah. it was pretty heavy. But the, I think my point is that police in our own. We always we kind of took it in our own hands. We we're like, you know what? This we're going to eat ourselves. We're like about, uh, you know, the whole thing was about this thing of ours. It was like it was it was a sanctuary where, and it is, it still is. It's a place where we all can go. That we all kind of have similar interests, you know, political views, religious views aside. We all obviously share a common interest in, in, in expressing ourselves and, and, you know, finding a common bond with, you know, other fellow musicians or other bands that kind of like believe in what we believe. And it's all more about just, you know, do your thing, just respect other people, and it's all cool. When that gets destroyed, man, it, it would have left nowhere for any of us to just, you know, to have that kind of sanctuary. And, yeah, uh, right. That would have sucked, you know, but I think. In the end, obviously, you know, it's nowhere near like it was back in the day. Oh, no. no you know, no. I think it, I remember, I remember it culminated, we had a show in CB's, and some dude who, who we knew pulled out a fucking piece, shot up CB's, and we got wow. called. And then it, that was it. And then it was like, that was when shit kind of came to a head, and the violence in New York was insane. But, uh, it is what it is, you know. It, Shit happens, and you know everything has a way of. of well, I mean, out. It, must, it must have made it very difficult for a band like you guys because, on one hand, you have the whole music industry changing, where you're not making much off record sales anymore. Everything is being shared on the internet. So, so most bands they have to do more touring and do more live gigs. But now your live gigs are being cannibalized because of the fights, and, and promoters don't want to book you. So that must have been a real difficult phase for you guys. Yeah, you know, I, it, it, it's not one thing; it's another. It, it, for us, the violence and all that stuff, once that squared away, then the MP3, you know, thing came in. Right. And, and, and pirating came in, so that kind of sucked the wind out of everybody. But there was a, a, a good span of time where, you know, fans like, uh, you know, from Madball to AF, Biohazard, Sick of It All, like a lot of the New York bands, and even fans from out here, like um, Bad Religion and, and Pennywise. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, we're, we're sold a lot of records and things. The industry was cool. Everything worked. And uh, fans were able to make a, you know, a living, at least survive enough to keep doing what they like to do. Uh, not getting rich, but, you know, at least living off of it, you know? So um, that changed when, once Pirate came out. I remember, uh, and, and now it's just like you go on tour. For us, you know, we split up for a bit and then we got back together. And during that time, we all kind of ventured into different, you know, businesses and industries and, and ways of surviving and making a living. So now that we do violence, it's no longer, it's not about paying, you know, rent. It's not about, you know, it's, it's like kind of like full circle. When you start, you don't know the music industry. You don't, you don't care about it. All you do right. is you have, you know, you're part of the music scene. You, you grow up looking up to bands and then you become a band that other people, you know, that, that you consider, other people consider part of the scene. Yeah. And that's an awesome, honorable thing that no one can ever take from us. You know, to be able to hang out with, with Agnostic Front, who I loved and idol, you know, idolized the kids, yeah. and, and consider them friends um, is an honor. But with not having to, uh, you know, not having to play music because you need to, like, pay your bills or whatever, it makes it like it was when we started, when we were six, you know, 18. It was yeah. like all we had was, um, the, you know, the, the love and the passion for what we do. And now it's like, yeah, we do it because we want to do it, not because we have to do it. Yeah, exactly. yeah. 
That's a good place to be. I mean, we're we're in a similar situation with our respective fitness businesses where I spent the first 10 years of my career just touring around the world teaching my events and that was how I made my my income. And now in the last couple of years, I started developing more products and I have much more passive income now where now I teach courses because I want to. I don't have to anymore. So I can I can really relate to what you're saying. Wow. You know what? I didn't know that. <laughs> cool. Um, <laughs> well, no reason why you I, uh, would. I'm not famous like I'm not famous like you. So no reason, <laughs> no reason why you should I'm, know that. <laughs> there's, there's, there's very few among us in the music industry, especially the hardcore scene that are so pro-health. Yeah, you know, yeah. John Joseph is the first. John Joseph is the first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mind. Sure. I think, I think yeah. you guys had him online before. Yeah, but, we have. Uh, yeah. I, for me, it's like, you know, I I kind of endorse this SIE company. And when I was talking to the guys in the company, and I was like, listen, I'm not your typical rock and roll guy. Like people, the whole image of rock and roll and hardcore and, and that hard edge lifestyle. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't, you know, my, my eating habits are, it, it, people would be shocked at how I eat, what I eat, and when I eat, but, uh, it, it's, it's more like in an industry where health is the last thing in the underground scene that people really care about, except for the straight edge, you know, um, part of our scene. Sure. But mm-hmm. for metal and especially, you know, a lot of hardcore scene, it's, it's the last thing. It's all about, you know, smoking weed, get high, partying, having a good time. Which is cool, you know, and that's if that's your choice. But to me, I, I wish I would have known this a long time ago. But you know, how we live now is it doesn't affect us. You know, when you're 19, you could eat at McDonald's three meals a day for five years and you'll be fine. But the long term <laughs> effects are what's going to take. Like yeah, and, and, now, and nowadays, not even that. Nowadays, kids are fat as hell from exactly, eating that. Yeah. So it's not like when we were kids. We, you're right. We could get away with that. We could, we could eat garbage food, but we're we're more active, and the food quality wasn't as bad then as it is yeah. now. Exactly. Now, 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 now the food quality is even worse, and there's even less activity. So now you see obese twelve year old kids, which we never saw the when I was diabetic at like eight. I'm like, come on. Yeah, you, you haven't seriously? been alive long enough to have diabetes. <laughs> like, really? You can't even spell it yet. If you can't spell it yet, why do you have it? I'm trying. Understand, you've been on the planet for eight years and you're obese now how did that happen <laughs> i mean that's almost impressive you yeah. know because yep. so like, i'm gonna do as little activity as possible and eat as much garbage as possible and bam there it is <laughs> there you go but billy let's get let's get into your nutrition i'm curious what what is your diet like um i follow a i'm a i've been a big jiu-jitsu practitioner for like 20 years and i follow it's called the gracie diet yeah it's sure yeah. diet that Carlos Gracie developed and, and they've used, um, you know, in the family for forever, for like 60 years. But for a long time, I, I knew about the diet. I, um, I heard about it and I, I, uh, but I never understood it. And Hensel Gracie had explained it to me and tried to you know, tell me about it. It seemed so difficult and, and hard to understand that I just, I just never took the time or had the energy or the patience. And I thought it was like, oh, it's, it's got to be some kind of, you know, you have to have like a nanny, you have to have some, you know, like, or if you're, if you're still living at home at 25 and you have a mother that's going to inspect your diet, then it's easy to do. Horry and Gracie wrote a book called The Gracie Diet, and it's a small read, and you read it in an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it breaks it down into layman's terms, and, and it's, it's very easy for me to understand. He came up with the help, help of like a two-week diet, like a meal plan, 
and it helps you break some of the habits. But the main objective of the diet um, is we you want to optimize. Right. So if I'm, I want to make sure that the, the energy that my body spends breaking down the food that I'm eating doesn't take more than the food. Than it doesn't um, spend more. I'm not spending more energy than I'm receiving from the food. So there's the, you don't eat four and a half hours between meals. There's no snacking. Um, sugar is minimal. It's natural sugars only, and you don't you do you don't mix basically you don't mix anything sweet or any sugar anything with sugar with anything that's salty. Like, um, you don't mix fruit with anything that's cooked, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, th- that's the basic of the diet. And you, oh, the other thing is you don't, um, you never repeat the same food in 24 hours and you don't mix carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. Like you stay with, I, I eat, I'll only eat rice once a day, but I won't, I'll never eat rice with bread or mm-hmm. pasta and potatoes. And as an Italian, that's like, that's like common. <laughs> that's um, the crime. <laughs> and a lot of a, a lot of a lot of our cultures are, are uh, you know kind of do that. But um, mm-hmm. that's the basic of the diet. It's it's it, it, what it, the benefits are. Um, you no longer feel that bloated feeling. Like you also, it's very important. No matter what diet you have, I think that it's important that people, you know, you don't don't eat until you're famished. You know, just, right. I mean, right. don't eat until you're just bloated. Yeah. You know, stay. If you could still eat a little bit more, that's when you want to walk away from the table. Right. Say, okay, cool. And the idea is to, I think if we look at our bodies like, all right, am I driving a fucking, you know, old beat up Cutlass Supreme <laughs> or am I driving a Porsche? If you respect your body, and then, you, then you're going to think twice, you know, and, and I, I have kids, young kids, and I tell them, they ask me, can I eat this? And I'm like, well, <laughs> ask yourself a question. Is that going to make you stronger, better, smarter, or healthier? Right. If it does, then go ahead and eat it. And they police themselves, you know. And I, I met a friend of mine once, watched my daughter and um, asked me a question. She was at, at the academy and we were training. She trained also. She said, uh, she said, can I get a, um, a, uh, there's a canola bar or candy? I can't remember what it was. And she, and I asked and I replied to her with that statement. And she made it the right choice. She didn't get it. Um, so, I think it's all about education. I, right. I don't hold my folks, you know, we, I grew up with, you know, we were like Irish twins. I have four brothers. We all like 11 months apart. And <laughs> God bless my mother. She passed when I was a kid, but she did the best she could. There was no money. There was like, you know, there's, there's six of us. And there was, I remember my father, there was, there was like five pork chops with six people. Like what the, you know, you got to be really quick and, and, uh, <laughs> and grab that pork chop or you don't eat. Yeah. <laughs> um, but our, our parents and our folks, they, you know, you, as you do the best you can with what you have yeah. and the knowledge these days of, of our bodies and the, the medical system and, uh, and food intake is, it's insane compared to what it was, you know, in the eighties. Right. Um, yeah. so it's a, you know, we, we kind of strive to live better and do better for our offspring and yeah. it's all about education. No, I like what you said about being bloated. You should never be bloated after a meal. That's always a bad sign of either you just had a crappy meal or you ate too much of a good meal and you're not digesting it optimally. And then when you go to the bathroom, it shouldn't look like a crime scene. You know, that's the other thing. So a lot of people live. Yeah, exactly. That's assuming you even make it there. Yeah, because there's so some people, lot, they, they don't use the bathroom for about three days later. Like, you know, when I tell someone like, okay, man, you should at least go and take a dump at least two or three times a day. What? 
Who does that? Yep. That's uh, not two, right. Wait, wait a minute. What do you mean? No. How, how often do you do it? Like every two days? I'm like, no, that's not right. <laughs> Can you that's just imagine horrible. what your insides look like? Yeah. Come on. Yeah, absolutely. You're a waste dump, exactly. man. Exactly. That's why, I mean, mad respect to you guys for educating people on that. And it's lack of education. Nobody knows that. People think it's normal. Yeah. You know, is it, is, oh, I, I'm getting older. My body's supposed to hurt. No, it's not supposed to hurt. Yeah. Take care yeah. of yourself, you know? Yeah. Oh, I'm, you know, I, I'm too busy to, to eat regular food, so I, that's why I take, you know, I go to the bathroom every couple of days. <laughs> that's you're busy. Like, what are you You're going to save time. <laughs> what are you doing? Are you saving, you know, are you trying to, like, you know, free a, free, free a country from totalitarianism or something? Like, what? How are you so busy that you can't eat right? <laughs> like, are you going in and, like, rescuing, like, prisoners, you know, soldiers or something like that? What are you doing that you're so busy, man? Come on. <laughs> yep. so funny to me. Yep. I don't, I'm too busy to, you know, to have to sit there and cook some food, man. I have to, I have to go through the drive-thru. Really? Yeah, people make it sound like healthy food is so complex, like it takes hours to prepare every day, and it, re- it really isn't the case. Man. Exactly. It doesn't take any more I time can, to eat can, healthy than it does unhealthy. Yeah. My 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 breakfast, guys, is, is like clockwork. It's just, I eat I don't eat the same thing, but I eat the same um, same type of food. It's, yeah. it's it takes me it's quicker to make what I make than it does to. To whip up like eggs and toast and and bacon if that's your choice. Right. But um, it's fruit. I just eat fruit. This morning I had um, watermelon, melon, and acai all in a blender, and I had a bagel with toasted bagel with cream cheese. That's it. And it's it's in it's the amount of. Everything. I think I think you viol- I think you violated the Gracie diet rules there. <laughs> no, that's, that's all Gracie diet. No, is it okay? I'm, I'm just messing with yeah. you. <laughs> I was like bagels with cream cheese is allowed on the Gracie diet. <laughs> people are course, just people all- people's eyebrows just went up going this diet doesn't sound too bad. <laughs> and they're like, okay, I should start looking into that. I'm telling you, check out the diet. The thing about the Gracie diet, mm-hmm. it's it, it's not. I don't look at it as a diet because a diet right. implies that missing out on something. Right. It's just a it's a way you combine your food. I still eat everything that I used to eat except for sweets. That's the only thing. But cutting out the sweets in, in my life, no candy, none of that crap. Right. Um, and it makes like when I eat a peach, a peach never tasted more sweet exactly. ever. Oh yeah. And, if I, and I've I've eaten candy. I've tasted candy since I changed my whole lifestyle. And I it feels like I'm not gonna say it's like poison, but the amount of intensity the sweetness is insane. I'm like, holy fuck! What yeah. what, what the hell is this? I never um, candy never tasted that uh, that intense to me. Yeah, it tends to, so yeah, it tends to be a lot nature's candy is fruit. Yeah. yeah. No, it's true. A lot of people think of fruit as something that tastes like chalk because they're so desensitized. I don't like just, fruit. I'm like, what? Yeah, I mean, they have to they have, they have to have this over the top sweet experience to even to even taste something sweet. Where I'm, I'm with you, Billy. When I eat blueberries or something like that, it tastes sweet to me. I look at that stuff as dessert most of the time. You know what happened, bro? People and that happened to me too. You're when you're so accustomed to a certain diet, we kill our taste buds. Right. As soon yeah. as I started, as soon as I left my old eating habits, things changed. All this, everything tasted better. Yeah. And I was like, what the? What? Yeah. And I asked Hoy in that. I'm like, what? What's that about? Why did? Why do things taste different? And because because you're not killing yourself with preservatives and and you know oversaturated, um, you know, like all this preservatives and chemicals, right? And sweeteners, artificial sweeteners, all that mm-hmm. crap. And you're you're you're. It's more natural. It's easier for your body to digest. And your body runs more more. Um, more lean and more like a well-oiled machine. 
Yeah, it definitely right. becomes a situation where it's so weird to even bring up. I tell my wife something like I'm craving vegetables, and you know she's like, "God, I, I can't wait to get to that point <laughs> in my life." Like if I feel like sometimes I even get depressed if I haven't had vegetables in a couple of days. I'm like, "Damn, I haven't had any vegetables in a while. I need to get, I need to get back on it right here." So if it's been like a couple of days, I'm yep. feeling depressed about that. She goes, "Oh my God, I need that kind of depression in my life." You know, <laughs> how, how do I get there? But you know, also I'm very thankful to my parents as well because you know, raising a very small, you know small town where pretty much we grew our own food and you know pretty much they were they were raised in the country they, they were raised like the old school way like hey if you didn't raise it and kill it yourself you don't you don't eat it and there was a time like yep. when I was growing up you get you went to McDonald's once a month you got that one friday of the month to go to McDonald's or whatever so it's one of those things where i don't think about and miss places like McDonald's or whatever and what ends up happening is when you're when you retrain your taste buds like you were just mentioning Going back and eating the crap that you ate before, man, it's like a task. It gets to the point, even when you smell it, you're just kind of like, wow, I can't believe I used to eat this stuff. And then it just feels so freaking heavy. The thing that could be like the lightest food in the world, it feels so freaking heavy on you, man. And you're just like, wow, I can't believe I, I ate this at one time. Because, and then you realize, okay, here's a new normal. Because that's not normal anymore. It's not normal, like you guys were saying, like to feel bloated as soon as you finish eating a meal. And the first thing you want to do is pop a button on your pants, lean down, and just, you know, <laughs> do an Al Bundy, stick your hand in your pants, and fall asleep with the remote in the left hand right there, man, on the couch. So, yeah. No, some people some people go through a bottle of Pepto Bismol every week. <laughs> I don't take that's, no, that's normal for them. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's like they're pretty much taking like Pepto shots. You know, as soon as they eat or whatever, or they're popping tums. Like, know, I don't right even I don't even have any of that stuff in the house because no, I haven't no. I, I haven't used it in years. I'm the last time I used it was maybe traveling in Africa. You, you know, everyone get, <laughs> well, everyone gets dysentery. <laughs> yeah, everyone gets dysentery there. I mean, dysentery dysentery was invented in India, so you can't go to India without getting dysentery. You know, that's just a fact. <laughs> <laughs> but out here, you shouldn't need that. Like anytime you have any kind of stomach upsets, just have, just take some raw powdered ginger, or, ginger know, or, roots. Or that pepper, stuff's incredible. Or some peppermint oil under your tongue, or something like that, man. You know, a couple drops of that. But then, of course, you know what we're saying right now, Mike. That sounds hokey, whereas Pepto Bismol sounds normal. It's like you know, <laughs> you know like well, know it, it shouldn't sound normal to our audience. I'll be disappointed <laughs> if we have a bunch of Pepto Bismol users. Like, what are you guys listening to this show for? <laughs> taking that crap. <laughs> exactly, man. <laughs> so, Billy, how did you get into jujitsu? Um, pretty much like most people, I think back, especially back in the early nineties, uh-huh. we saw that we were we studied martial arts and fought a lot, and uh, so we were big fans of boxing and and martial arts, and then. Um, my drummer read an article in Black Belt Magazine about his family in Brazil. He passed me the article. I read it. And, you know, we, they were like, just, there was a lot of mystique around it. Um, and then they, then he told me one day, he's like, bro, remember that family we read about? Gracie's like, yeah. He's like, oh, they, they're doing this. A couple of them moved to California and they're doing like a, a, a no holds kind of like barred fight where they're pitting all different styles of martial arts against each other. And he was like, he's like, they're gonna, they're gonna clean up the house. They're gonna win. And I'm like, cool, let's, let's watch it. So we waited and it was on pay per view. And I, I don't remember, um, for some reason we, either we were on tour or something, but we didn't get it, we didn't watch it live. We had it on tape and I couldn't wait to get home, popped in the VCR, watched it, and I was fucking hooked. I was like, oh my God. The first UFC was 1993, I think. Yeah. And then the next day we searched out any, anybody who knew knowledge of, of jiu-jitsu and we talked to any, all of our crew and like anybody that was involved in martial arts and styles and over like a, like a span of about a month or so somebody who knew somebody um reached back out and, and they introduced us to this kid who was 
he said he was a Gracie. He said that his mother was Elio Gracie's sister. So his last name wasn't Gracie, but he was a purple belt and introduced us to Hoist on the phone. And we, we started training with him, grandma tour. And, uh, and he showed us a bunch of stuff and it was awesome. Then we got a chance, um, and we kept him on tour with us for like a year or so. And he became a friend. And now the, the dudes, you know, he went on to like, you know, he's a, I think he's a second or third degree black belt under, um, Carson Gracie school, but he, um, that was our first case of jujitsu. And then we were in LA, um, and, uh, we did a record out here and started training with, with Hickson Gracie. That was our first like, traditional real education in jujitsu. Wow. And, uh, ever since then we stayed with the family in East Coast, New York, Enzo, um, Hoyler, mm-hmm. Pedro Sauer under, under, um, under Hickson. And then I've been here in, in LA since away trading with, um, Henner and here on Gracie. Seems like a few guys that are in the hardcore scene are really into jujitsu. I know Harley Flanagan is really, he trains with Henzo. He's really into it. Yep. So it seems to be like some crossover. It seems like when you do something really intense, that intensity can carry over to something else that's intense. So maybe if you get into really hardcore music, you're going to get into hardcore working out, or you're going to get into hardcore philosophy on how you run your business. It seems like there's a lot of permeations. I, I totally agree. I think there's a lot of parallels. And, yeah. uh, especially, I don't, I don't know, maybe it has something to do with like a lot of the hardcore scene was there's a lot of violence. Yeah. Especially back in the nineties right. we talked about earlier. Right. And um and and especially like I love to I would say I love to fight, but it seemed like I was a magnet, you know. I was always <laughs> a smaller guy of my crew and things always gravitate toward me and I think because I never you know, I, I, I was never one to back down and back away, even if I knew the odds were stacked up against me and I was gonna lose, I would just hold my ground and hold my own and do what I had to do. <clears throat> so having the skill Back up the mouth, you know what I mean. And the ego was probably what track, attracted me first. And, and people always ask me, "Is it do you use it in a fight all the time?" Yeah. And, and still to this day, and I, my lifestyle, I don't roll like I used to roll. You know, I'm not hanging out in the corners, and I'm not hanging out. You know, I'll go to shows. I'm going to Hayfield tonight, but I don't. I'm not gonna. I don't have the time or the desire. More so, I don't have the time, but to hang out two hours before and drinking a 40 with my buddies before the show and then hanging out after still blowing off steam from the, from the riled up energy at the show. Yeah. So it's, but I'm still in the mix. My, you know, my, it's, it's kind of like, you know, touring with Biohazard and touring around the world. I'm involved in that scene. If, you know, if I was just, you know, going to my daughter's soccer games and then to and from work and then going to see your soccer game, it's a different story, but my, my life is still involved in the same, you know, street element that it was when I was 19, you know? So it, things kind of fall in, in front of me sometimes, and I still, you know, I still have to do what I got to do at, at times. And yeah. we were in, uh, you know, whatever. I won't go into talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, these, these stories are great. <laughs> how, how, do, how do you compare the scene overseas to America? It's, you know what? There's a, so, more similarities and differences. Yeah. And I think the the strife in the world is way more similar than people really imagine. Mm. You know, the, the language barriers, the cultural differences, you know, those are there, but people still struggle with what they have to struggle with. You know, whether it's, you know, 
try to, you know, hustle to, to keep make ends meet, keep food on the table, uh, pay for your rent, um, you know, problems with your relationship, problems with work, problems with, with, with the local politics. It, there's so, so many similarities. Um, but I'll tell you this, spending more time outside of America, it makes you really thankful for what we do have here. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you can, you can scream and, and yell about, you know, how fucked up things are here. And yes, things are always going to be fucked up. But they're a hell of a lot better than they are anywhere else in the world. I agree. And, uh, yep. you know. In fact, whenever I'm overseas, because I've been all over the world, especially even before I got into this business, I come from an international family, so we traveled a lot. But but since be, being in this business, I've traveled all over the world recently. And whenever I talk to people who have this pipe dream where they want to move to Belize or they want to move to Brazil or they want to move to New Zealand, and they've never been to any of these places, they've never <laughs> right. been outside of America, they think that they, they're thinking of this paradise yeah, that doesn't want. exist. And I go, man, you, you have no idea what you're talking about. It's bigger I'm than not, HGTV, man. You know, yeah, I'm not one. saying all those places aren't great. No, Uganda, Kenya, all these places I've been to, they're fantastic places. But I'm with you, Billy. After a couple of weeks or a month, you're ready to go home. <laughs> you know, There's a lot of yep. things you miss. You know, I, I lived in I lived in Sweden, I lived in Brazil, and I, the shit that I've seen. You know, my wife was carjacked. She was pregnant. I was on tour. She was pregnant with my daughter, our daughter, and uh, she was mugged. What? And the dude, as soon as he saw that she was pregnant, he was like in, in Portuguese. He was like, "Excuse me, I'm sorry. I didn't know you're pregnant." And is there anything, <laughs> are they okay? And then, and then he ran away. Oh man. It's so fucking odd, man. That's bizarre. Some <laughs> so, yeah. crook with morals. Huh? Yeah, it's a car carjacker with integrity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like people who like uh -huh. to it's like it's like people who like to vandalize toilets, but they won't touch the handicap stall. <laughs> that's that's where they draw the line. <laughs> that's why I cross the yeah, man, that's why I draw the line. I won't go there, man. <laughs> They'll take a dump on the toilet seats and piss all over the floor I'm like, oh not the handicap one though. No. <laughs> You know, you know, one thing that I find interesting, just looking at the success you guys have had, is while you guys go in the different territories with your music, it's always a biohazard record. So I doubt fans have ever been disappointed with any record you guys have put out. It's always intense. It's always aggressive. But you definitely go into different areas and allow your music to expand. And I find that some bands, though, I always think of the Chromags. The Chromags, Age of Quarrel, Masterpiece album, right? Best Wishes, yeah. their second album, which I like, but it was too different from the first album that they lost a bunch of people, gained some new fans, but they lost some fans. And then beyond that, they went way too abstract and lost, and lost to pretty much everyone at that point. And then I look at guys like you. You guys have gone into different Tories but stayed the course. And then you look at a band like Hatebreed, which is arguably the most – popular hardcore band right now where they stay in a very well-defined lane and they don't deviate at all so it's always going to be very similar each record and that's worked really well for them so i wonder what you think of that theory where if a, if a band goes too far from where they started they just start losing people i think that it's a fine line between growing and and searching and looking to for new fans you know and I think the bands that, um, I'll tell you this story. I remember we were on tour with Slayer, and uh, Kerry King and I did an interview for Guitar Magazine or Guitar World or something. And, and um, they asked a question, and he said, that she, they asked me, Billy, like, you, you guys' music has, like, grown, and, and every record still has a vibe to sound. And, but you guys, you know, you, you, you're big into hip-hop, and you've worked with different hip-hop artists. And you, uh, you know, blah, 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 blah. 
And then, you know, what is that like? And I'm like, well, for me, it's, I don't want to write the same music over and over again. We, we're, we have our, our roots. We have our influences. And those will always be there. But I don't want to rewrite the same song. You know, it's, it's, it's about something, you know, it's like striving for something, you know, more in life. And then they asked Carrie the same question. And he, Carrie looks at me and, and he said, well, I know what Slayer fans like. And, <laughs> you know, we kind of just, we have a formula. It works. And we just keep doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. It, it, I don't think, I'm not belittling Slayer because I'm a huge fan. And I, but I understood where he was coming from. But for me, I just prefer to do it. I like what we do. You know, yeah. I like having things kind of like still remaining true to what we do. But I'm not going to lie. There's times where we kind of like went way out in left field, you know, and that was like, you know what? That's not too, that's not, that's too far away from what we, what we were. Right. Where we, what we started. And, but as a musician, as an artist, I love it. Yeah. But as, yeah. as a Biohazard fan, I don't, you know, I, I don't like it. And that's why I don't play those songs live. So, well, you're, you're always going to lose some people, right? I started off as a kettlebell-focused instructor. Then I really got into this hormone optimization stuff, nutrition, and I started going more into that route. And I gained a much bigger audience as a result of that. But some of the early fans were going, oh, when are you going to start putting out training information again? And when are you going to make another kettlebell video? Because I don't care about that other stuff. I go, yeah, yeah. but the problem is, is I don't care about what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, so I'm not going to make yeah. products that I'm not passionate about. I have to be really interested in it. But it's funny you bring up Slayer because that's the other example I was thinking about too is where they, they stay in a very well-defined lane. But I always feel like with the Chromex, if they made three records just like Age of Quarrel, they would have been huge. They yeah. just would have been enormous. That original lineup, that kind of music, three records, just like Metallica with Kill 'Em All, Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets. I don't like anything yep. after Master of Puppets, but those three albums were masterpieces, and, and it really built and solidified their career. I felt that the Chromex could have been in the same exact world, maybe not as big as Metallica, but as big as maybe you guys or Slayer or Hatebreed, somewhere, something like that. I I, I agree. I, I think that they uh, they were they were the band that in New York, especially growing up, that she could have watered and should have. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. But there, there was so much more involved, you know. That, oh, sure. It, when you're in a band, and, and even a business with partners, it's like being married, you know, to four other people. Yeah. So there's like, their personality conflicts, and, you know, we don't need to go into the details about Chromex, but everyone well knows, knows the facts that, sure. that there was internal strife, and it kind of, it sucks. But you can't change the, the chemistry that they had and the music that they made together. Yeah, no, um, absolutely. I think, I think, I think Bands like I admire Sick and Roll a lot, Madball a lot, they, and, and even A Up, Roger and Vinny have been partners, you know, for their whole career. Yeah, you know, and and, and Hoya and Freddie are the same. It's the same thing. They have a certain relationship that works. Yeah, um, and, and we always thought we were going to be like that, but shit just happens, you know. And, and we went through the ringer, um, and. and and that's, you kind of just got to roll the punches and you get yeah. knocked down and just stand back up and keep going. Well, I feel like Freddie Madball, because we had him on the show, I feel like he did it right in the sense that he's got other interests, such as the hip-hop stuff, but he created a separate album for that. He didn't try to put that on a Madball record because that yeah, that might have worked to some degree, but it would have been a disaster if you're listening to Madball and you're jamming, then all of a sudden a hip-hop song comes on. <laughs> and I, exactly. I like both. I like both a lot. I like his rap stuff, and I love Madball. It's one of my favorite bands ever. But if those two styles of music were on one record, I think that would have been a disaster. 
I, I think what he has done is fucking phenomenal. Mad respect for what, for him keeping it real, literally, no pun intended, with, uh, with, you know, with Madball and keeping the shit separate. Yeah. Because it's awesome. Because then you like, yeah. you, you don't, you don't cross them, you know? And, right. and that's not how they started. For us, it was different, you know? We didn't sit down and say, let's mix hip hop and fucking hardcore. No, <laughs> it, was just, it was not as natural. I think fans like Limp Biscuit sat down and tried to formulate shit like yes. that. But for us, yes. we didn't exactly, sit, you know, exactly. it was, it was natural. It was real. And it was like, it came out the way it came out. Limp Biscuit. Limp Biscuit yeah, was like, really like corny, a, though, right? Like, uh, like the sincere. Oh, yeah, I like how on. sincere said, you know, Corn and Lincoln Park and and some of these other bands that were heavily influenced by Biohazard, and those are all bands I like too. But we, he made a point of not mentioning Limp Biscuit because <laughs> yeah. that stuff's just corny. What you guys did was never corny. No, I, I, I it's a they were different thing, and they, they had a mass appeal to the pop audience. For us, we never it, it didn't. I mean, they did a remake of a George Michael song. That says it all right there. (laughs) Well, exactly. That says it all. You know, another guy that that kind of did it right, man, was Corey Taylor, man. It's like with Slipknot. And then Corey had his other interests, so he did Stone Sour. And so Stone Sour's came to those people who like Limp limp Biscuit and like, you know, know, things like that and Puddle of Mud and all that. But at the same time, you got Slipknot for the more hardcore fans out there. And the thing about it, both... Both audiences still respect right. Corey Taylor. He's yep. like, and there's like no one I've ever heard talk about Corey Taylor in yeah. a bad way. Nope. Anyone that meets that dude, they love that dude, man. And he did it yeah. right. He, yeah. didn't, he didn't try to and come both off. Bands, and he kind of went that same great, path. Man. Stone Sour's awesome. Hell yeah. And Slipknot's great. Slipknot. Yeah, so they're exactly. both really good. So definitely did it in the smart way. Yeah, I agree about Corey's in the same vein. Now, with your, your latest album, Reborn in Defiance, how come that's not available on iTunes? Um. <laughs> it never came out in the state. It yeah, that's what I heard. The, that's what I heard. Because I wanted to buy it actually. I mean, I've been listening to it on YouTube, and it's awesome. I'm gonna, um, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And my, uh, um, but the for us, it was, you know, I'll, I'll spare you the details. But we were um, the old one of the members of the band, Evan, quit while we were making the record, oh, okay. and because of that, um, it was blocked coming out in the states. And, uh-huh. and we were gonna mm-hmm. release it later, but we decided, you know what? Whatever, like I said before, you, you know, you, we all get knocked out of life, but it's more important standing back up and, and moving forward. So we decided just to focus on, on you know, rebuilding the band with with Scott on bass and vocals, and uh, we've been touring around and we've been working on a record, and so our focus has gone to the future, you know, not the past. Yeah, that's cool. So, so, so you don't you don't you don't mind me you don't mind me listening it on YouTube, man. <laughs> so I was feeling kind of bad. I was like, man, I want to support the guys. Where do I go buy this? <laughs> no, it's all cool, bro. To me, I, I told you we don't we never started this for the money, right? And especially now, not having to do biohazard, you know, to, to pay you know bills is is a pleasure. It's another you know great. Well, well part what of what pays the bill? What pays the bills now? Because I know you're not doing porno like Evan. What? What? You... <laughs> no, no. Oh, I, I, I think you live in LA, so hopefully you're not doing anything worse than that. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything worse. But, oh, uh, there is. There is, man. I used to live. Oh, I used to live in LA, and there were guys that were called uh, gay for pay members. Now I won't go into the details of that, but I think that might be worse. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? If life was, if we were all exactly the same, life would be pretty fucking boring. But, <laughs> That's true. From, <laughs> I uh, I own a recording studio here in LA. And I produce bands, so that's what I do when I'm not on tour by Isaac, and I love it. Oh, that's cool, man. So that's that's actually yep. your bread and butter right now. So that's actually worked out. So you you produce other bands, you look for bands to produce, or people come to you? 
all of the above. I, the, I have a studio called Firewater Studios. The website's firewaterstudios.com. And, uh, and I, I work with bands from, you know, everyone from Cypress Hill to, uh, to, you know, the small local band, um, you know, that's, that just started in the garage. And, uh, so it's cool. It's great. I, I, I my, the genres of music are vastly different from Devil Driver to, uh, you know, to like a, a reggae band I did from South Bay oh, called, cool. uh, Urban oh. Classics. And it's, uh, it's, it's awesome. I'm really psyched. Love it. And uh, it beats flipping burgers. <laughs> well, what are you listening to these days? What what new bands are you listening to that you really like? Ooh, new bands. Um, Say last you know last five or six years. Anything in the last five or six years? Mostly, it's the same. It's you know, it's kind of boring. But I love <laughs> you know the, the new sick of it all. Um, you know, the new Madball, the new Terror. A lot of bands that I. I've always liked. I just I look forward to their new records. Um, in the new AF, it's coming out. Um, so I think the uh, as far as like new new bands, um, it's always like playing shows and you you know you, you play with a band like Suburban Scum and you're like oh shit this is a cool little taste or, or right. band called Ninety Eight. But it's like bands that I get turned on to on tour as far as this genre and then everything else is like you know the classics from. Bad brains. I still put on, you know, old bad brains or chrome eggs yeah. and things like yeah. that. Yeah. And uh, that shit never gets old. You no, know? nah, it doesn't. I still listen to the classics, but I have to say there are a lot of new bands out there that I really like, like Rotting Out, Take Offense, Trapped Under Ice. There's there's so many good bands that are coming out now. You have you have to do some research and find them, but there, there know, are definitely I, some I, good bands out there. Yeah, you mentioned Rotting Out. We were on. Uh, we played with them when I was with Blood for Blood, and they uh, we played out in at the glass house here in LA and they opened up for us and they were, it was like they're really beginning of you know, the early part of their career. And it turned out that like one of the members of the band is like a, a nephew of a friend of mine I trained with. Oh really? So, and I watched the career explode and those guys are doing really good. They got a cool thing going on. Yeah. There's some really cool bands. Turnstile. I mean, there's, there's so many good bands that are coming out now as well. Cold world, as we mentioned earlier, they're really cool. So I think, yeah. I used to I used to make fun of the music industry in a in a lighthearted way, saying ah nothing really good coming out anymore in, in terms of new bands. But now that I've done some research in the last few months, I mean there's a lot of good stuff out there. Yeah, that's the cool. That's the you know the spice of life. Things just get better and uh, and better. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it was you know equally frustrating is that anybody can make a, a demo. Yeah. And so with oh that God, you exactly. get you, you get some new great though. bands. But you also get some new shitty. Bands. Oh, there's there's more there's more a whole more lot of crappy music coming out than ever before either. <laughs> exactly, because yeah. thanks to you know thanks to everybody having a freaking computer now and they can just download some software. Everybody thinks like, okay, now I have a band now. Or in in my case, you know, everybody's a freaking DJ now just because they have some software and they program. <laughs> if you're if you're mixing between two iPods, you're not a fucking DJ. Okay? <laughs> I can <could laughs> do know? that. Shut, just shut the hell up. Because I'm, like, I'm exactly. a DJ too, man. I'm gonna mix some songs exactly. later. <laughs> <laughs> the commercial you know, music has become a big joke too where i mean now 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 you have now lyrics about getting your salad tossed or common all right that's that's the state of the <laughs> there's certain things that weren't supposed to get out into yeah, the mainstream like getting your salad tossed you don't tell that, girl, that was always a private thing that. between people that's a taboo <laughs> thing that you kept in the bedroom man like, yeah he tossed my salad last night like girl shut up <laughs> everybody's looking at me like look at the shitty mouth boy over there yeah we heard about you salad boy on, we heard you were vegan of a different everyone, type everyone <laughs> sincere walks in the room everyone it goes 
goes silent all of a sudden. <laughs> oh, if it isn't the new vegan. Hey, let's talk about that salad you ate last night. <laughs> oh, man. So uh, oh, man. Where, where, do you, where do you see the music going, industry going? I mean, here's, here's, a, here's a better question, actually. What do you think a, a, a band that starts today has to do to be successful? Because you're not going to make money off record sales anymore. Do you have to perpetually tour? Do you have to merchandise? What do you think they need to do? Well, two things. What gave me the, the my business model for the studio and what I do is over the years working records with Biohazard, I watched and we were we were you know, it was a punching on one side and a and a curse on the other side, but we had the opportunity to be with labels when the, you know, in the nineties, late nineties when the record issue was still thriving, the record budgets were much bigger. Not even they they dwarfed what the, what's going on now. But because of that, I've learned, um, I work with these producers and work in these studios and, and honing my craft over the years as, a, as a, you know, as an engineer and a producer that there's corners that you can cut and corners that you can't cut. Um, and, and smart business decisions for me, like I'm in the hood. I'm like right in almost, you know, next to Compton. It's, you, if you go the wrong, take a wrong, if you take a left out of the studio parking lot, you know, you're, you're in Compton. If you take a right, you have your odds are you know you're going to survive a little bit longer, but it's in a gated community. It's cool. The overhead's low, and the idea is like nobody off the street is going to walk by my studio and go, "Oh, I feel like making a record. Let's stop here." No. <laughs> so the the yeah. curb appeal it doesn't matter to me, you know. And, and something about music as artists, you know, we get along with everybody, you know, rich and poor, dirty and clean, and and you know, doesn't matter what you know class of life you're in. You know, we're artists, and so we can we can you know hang and chill with with you know skid row bum to the you know to high society scumbag you know. Right. Um, but right. so we we can as artists we we're cool with going into you know an, an area that that you wouldn't want to take your mother to eat you know. <laughs> satisfied, satisfied yeah. enables me to keep the, the overhead down, and I can pass the savings on to you know the bands. Um, and you don't need. You know, you don't need to be in a you know fifteen hundred hour a day studio right. to make a record that sounds like you were in a fifteen hundred hour studio. Yeah, and yeah. so that's that's one thing is just working with the right people. Um, it's not a sales pitch. It's not you know come work with me kind of deal, but it's 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 the truth. The other thing is, I think that the record sales, because you mentioned before, I think it was you, Mike, who said, you know, how do you make you know how do you make a living when you can't sell records? The, I, I I don't believe in that. I believe that the record industry selling what it sells isn't a result of a fledging industry it's a result of shitty music right you know what i mean yeah. you're, it, you're you're not selling because your music fucking sucks there's no passion you know like bands you know say what you want to say i'm just popped in my head they're the furthest from the genre that we're in but news for example they still tell the records right you know what i mean yeah i know so they those guys they're constantly pushing the envelope it, it's not you know, of course, it's not Slayer. It's not this and that. But they they do. Slayer yeah. still sells records. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? Uh, but I think no, you're right. If music is good, you're gonna buy. I mean, I have a thousand songs on my iPhone, so I I definitely yep. buy music all the time. Every day, I'm buying properties, downloading new songs, paying for it. So I, I agree with that for sure. If if you want to sell a if you want to sell a record, you have to make a great record. Exactly. I think that you have to, um, and it's easier to make a great record these days. But the thing is this, you have your whole life to make your first record, and then you have two years or, or less <laughs> to make your second record. Yeah. So the first yeah. one, there's no excuses. You know, I, I've had, um, 
you know, a lot of success with first time artists. And, and, and what it is, is kind of like for me, I don't, it's like every band that I work with, it's, it's like me, it's like my songs, my band, even though it's theirs, I look at it like it's my own project. So my name's on it. I got to treat it like it's my own shit. You know, and if nobody, we can make the, if you guys came to the studio and said, hey, let's the three of us make a, a fucking dope kick ass record. And we <laughs> did. And then nobody heard it. It doesn't matter. We just waste <laughs> our time and money. So the idea is to try to get somebody to do it. Well, so if, the, if, bring, if, the three, if the three of us try to make a record, we're going to wish no one heard it. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, hey, I have more confidence. So I'll think of the slacker you guys last <laughs> You guys can take care of the marketing and the, and the, and the, uh, and the telling of the record. Hey, man, unless the, <laughs> my job is being charged at the triangle, then we'll be, we'll, we'll be, we'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> the cowbell. Like, if, I, if I have to do some shouting in the background, we, it may work out. You know? Hey, man, at least I can do <laughs> DJ. Okay, I can always. Yeah, that's true. You. I should say that, yeah. I should say the two of you could make a good record as long as I'm not involved. You know? <laughs> I'm a so good. That, no, go ahead. Go ahead. That's that, that's the thing. I think that that you have to one make something that's 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 viable. Like that kind of shows that you're um, you know that you can hold your own in what you're doing, whether it's yeah. country or hardcore. It doesn't matter. It's the same same yeah. thing. And then once you have that. You got it's an excuse to go out on tour and sell it, yeah. and I don't mean sell as in make money. Sell as in like bring it and, and show people who you are, what you're made of, and what you what you do, and why are you worthy of my you know twelve dollars, which is what a co- record should cost, not right. eighteen. And that and that's what right. it comes down to, right there. You when you finally understand that you're now a you're a brand now. That you know you need to go out there and treat yourself as such, not 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 just being a product because there's plenty of that in the music industry left and right. I mean they drop products each and every day, and then we don't hear about them again a yep. year from now. Yep. When you go out there, you need to be a brand. It's like man, a brand base is going to be what people say about you when you're not around. You know, are they still talking about you? Are they still talking about that show? They're talking about that energy. That's what it comes down to. Your you know you being a brand right there, whether it's in the music industry, fitness industry, any type of business that you try to you gotta understand it's a business. Amen. You know, so you just yep. can't be the one out there doing it for fun. Like, well, I just want to play music, man. I don't want to deal with all the other stuff. Well, you know what? You're gonna be hungry and you're gonna be flipping those burgers pretty soon. Yep. So you're gonna be that guy. So yeah, that's that's the one thing. Everybody at this point now, you just can't sit there and just decide like, okay, let's just go do this for fun. No fun. This kind of fun costs. Yeah, exactly. Money. Touring costs money. Okay, there's fun. Fun is doing it in your bedroom at your mom's <laughs> house or in the basement when she's paying the freaking rent and the mortgage. Then that's when it's fun because you don't have any responsibilities financially. But have a kid, have a wife. Yeah, that fun goes right out the window, man. Really, yeah, I mean, we hear that that's in our why, industry all the time too. Yeah, that's why people. It's much easier to the uh, more people. There's more success rate when you're 19, 20, early twenties. You don't have those responsibilities, yeah, right? Because you can sit exactly. there. Exactly. You can work 18 hours a day and not have somebody going. What are you doing? Coming to bed? <laughs> Calling you like, why are you? Where are you? Where are you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what time are you coming home? <laughs> you know? That's why, that's why you me. notice with most UFC fighters, they're either married or they're single. And to be the successful ones, right? It's usually not someone yeah. who just started dating someone or someone who just yeah, had a kid. Just, yeah, the ones that are married, they, you know, that, that woman, that wife has been with them when he was, when it's just a girlfriend and he was a broke ass dude just trying yeah, to fight. Exactly. You know, that's the thing about it. So she's been through, through all the thick of it. <laughs> so rare, rare, rarely do you see a, a fighter reach the top of the echelon who, who just started dating someone and or that's just tumultuous. Yeah, exactly. Usually it's someone who's who's single and is not even thinking about that, or it's someone who's been married for a while, like Sincere said. 
<laughs> exactly. It's like, you know, I, I, mean, this I, was, really... I was focused on the belt, but now I really want to put time into my relationship. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> my girlfriend says I'm trading too much. <laughs> yeah, you know, I need to take some time off, spend some time with my girl. Well, you even know, even in our me. business, it's like that because I traveled. I, all I did was travel the first several years of my business. Every weekend I was going somewhere to teach a course. And I remember talking to other people saying, uh, well, you know, uh, my wife doesn't want me to travel that much. And I go, then don't fucking do what I do, motherfucker. It's not going to work. As I, as I, I was like, <laughs> I was like you can, you're going to have enough roadblocks as it is trying to make this thing work. And you're just adding on to it unnecessarily. So I go, just don't bother. Yeah, trust me. Yeah. I use it all the time. Every, anytime I go to a kettlebell competition, they're like, hey, man, where's your wife? She's at home. Oh, I never see her because she has a business. Yeah. She's got to take her. You get conjoined, yeah. conjoined you know, the hip. You guys got to go everywhere. Exactly. She's not worried about me. And then you kind of just see them kind of like, well, you see some of these guys like, damn, I wish my wife would be like that. You know, meanwhile, his wife is sitting in the audience bored to death because she could give two rats. Yeah, exactly. That's the other competition. But she's keeping tabs on this guy. <laughs> you know, so. I was like, damn, dude, it's just not a position I would want to be in, you know? Yeah. I mean, they let themselves get in that situation, though, you know? Oh, so yeah. people, I can't blame the Yeah, they, I mean, they, they, they knew what they were getting into, and then and then once they're in it, they could get out of it if they, if they want to, and they choose not to. So it's it's all on them at the end of the day, just like everything is, right? It's all on you to take charge of your life, to take responsibility, live the life you want. You know, one thing that's interesting, yeah. Belly, is I was never a guy that had any musical talent, right? So while I was really influenced by Cro-Mags, Biohazard, all these band, all these great bands growing up, it influenced me in a different way. It, it inspired me, in a sense, to do what I do now for a living. I was heavily inspired by Cro-Mags in particular and Agnostic Front and you guys and Madball. And, but I, and I took that energy and put it into developing my fitness business, my passion. And then even my business model is somewhat similar where I create, or at least early in my career, I created videos, books, et cetera. And then I toured doing workshops to support all of that. And it was all synergistic. So it's, I think, I think people can learn a lot from the way you guys operate in the music industry and take a lot of those things and put it into whatever they're doing. I, I think that with the survivalist kind of vibe, and especially in the hardcore scene yeah, <laughs> and the DIY ethic, Yes, it inspires a lot. Mm-hmm. It inspired a lot, of that. and it, it inspired me. And, and also, like not just with violence, but other bands, like the DIY thing. Those kids that you know, Jamie Capri is a perfect example. He's a kid who did shows and wanted to be in a band, and just started doing it. Right. And, and look, you know, and look at the empire that he's he's built. Um, a great dude with a lot of drive, and and I yeah. think that it's a commonplace, and and especially in our scene. No doubt, man. That's really cool. Now, where where could people find out more information about everything you have going on? Um, I I'm launching a new site um, that kind of like encompasses a lot of new things, but it hasn't launched yet, so it's, it's kind of just, you know a waste of air. But um, everything that I'm involved in is on is Billy Biohazard Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. The Biohazard Facebook is um, is Biohazard DFL. And uh, and the Firewater Studios is firewaterstudios.com. It has everything that's going on with the studio and producing new projects, old projects, and uh, and and that's it. I, I focus 100% on Biohazard. I don't. I'm not into like solo records and stuff like that. I'm right. really the fire has been relit in the band since we got back together in 2008, and uh, we're all psyched to do be doing what we're doing. You know. That's fantastic, man. And hey, what uh, on a separate note, what time do you think Madball is going to be on tonight? What, what's your guess on when they're going to hit the stage? I don't know. I just got here in Anaheim, so it's, it's weird that cause I'm going to see Madball in Disneyland. Even though they're not playing Disneyland, <laughs> I know. Anaheim I know. I'm is looking at Disneyland. 
I know. I'm looking at hotels to book for tonight. I'm laughing. I'm going, man, I'm going to be staying at Disneyland to go see Madball. <laughs> my, 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 yeah, right? my rule of thumb is, you know, on a weeknight, if you shoot for 9 o'clock, you're, you're, you're probably good to go. Okay, perfect. Because um, I'm going to fly in probably around 6.30, get in there around 7.30. So that puts me, and then I'll just go straight to the show from the airport. So I think that'll work out. Yeah, if you make it in, hit me up and we'll hook up. Sounds sure. good, man. Yeah, look forward to it. Awesome. Thanks a lot for coming on, Billy. We really appreciate it, man. Appreciate it, man. Guys, congratulations. Keep it up. You guys are on a, a cool path and doing a good thing to help humanity. And thanks for your time. Thank you, man. You have a great one. Hope yeah, to see man. you tonight. All right, guys. Peace out. All right, you take care. Bye. Take care. All right, again, Billy from Biohazard. That was really cool because, again, Biohazard is yeah. one of my favorite bands. What's cool about this podcast is, is how it's allowed us to talk to people that we're both fans of, people that we admire rather than people that we could care less about, but we have on because maybe some of the listeners want to hear that. <laughs> you know, and that's the thing about the listeners. We'll, we'll take any suggestion, but if we don't want to talk to the person, you know, we're not talking to them. Man, you know, Some of the suggestions, I kind of yeah. laugh and I go, man, if only you knew about this person, man, you, you, you wouldn't exactly, even be suggesting. <laughs> exactly. And then if we actually brought that person on the show, I think you would no longer be a fan of that person. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it's kind of, sometimes, you know, ignorance is bliss. So, we're, hey, we're, we're looking out for you on some of these folks that you suggest for the show we're trying to help you out <laughs> so. yeah absolutely man. absolutely well one thing that can help out billy supporting our guest is there's a company a clothing company called americana.rocks so it's not a dot com it's americana.rocks and they make clothes for hardcore bands different fighters mma fans etc they have t-shirts for biohazard agnostic fronts and wisdom and chains i think sick of it all as well i think they're going to be making one for madball and these are these are high quality shirts that feel like affliction shirts in terms that they contour to your body but they don't come with the high price tag so you're not going to pay 100 bucks for a t-shirt a t-shirt that's going to tear in half the first time you wear it <laughs> <laughs> or when you wash yeah, it you go like, work out in an affliction know. shirt man it's going to be a rag by the time that workout's over 100 bucks <laughs> for a shirt that just you just stretch it it tears in half so anyway these are high quality shirts that are great for those of us who work out because they contour to your physique and they're they're reasonably priced so definitely check that and it, it supports bands like biohazard sick of it all whatever whatever you're a fan of so check out americana.rocks and we're looking to bring them on as a sponsor so i wanted to show them that it's actually worth being a sponsor by just giving them a free plug and seeing what happens now more important than supporting them though is supporting us and you do that by using coupon code LLA, get 10% off the best nutrition supplements out there. I'm not even going to name them all off. You should know them by now. Just know that I sell the best nutrition supplements or I wouldn't bother. So use that coupon code LLA. Go get 10% off today. And how about with you, man? Same thing, man. Go to newwarriortraining.com. Use that same coupon code LLA. And 10% off of any product you can purchase over there. And that's why I want to give shouts out to those who have gone to our sites, man, and, you know, and given us their business and support the show. Guys like Don Holland, man. Don's like purchased multiple things from my site. I think I know he's purchased from you as well. You know, Thomas Struble and who else, man? Um, that I probably left on the last show that I want to get, make sure I got them this time around. Um, and also, man, you know, we have a, you know, another way that people can support they can actually support the show monthly by being a patron of the show. And that's by going over to our Patreon page. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com. And subscribe over there, man. Just, you know, pretty much just pledge $5 a month to the show. Comes out. It helps support the way we produce the show. And help us keep improving the show as we go on and on and on. We've been doing this thing for a little bit over a year and a half, man. And, you know, we definitely want to continue to see this show growing. But, of course, that takes funds. So, 
that's another way you can support the show in case, you, you know, you pretty much have our products for right now and you still want to show a way that you want to support the show. So big shouts out to Yan Kramer, man, who was like one of the early patrons that jumped right onto this thing, man, after hearing about it on the last show. Thanks, Yan, and also to um, Lee and Converse as well. So again, folks, this is what you can do. You're going to go over that page and you'll see in that box it says, you know, support the show and have like a dollar. Erase that and put five. Okay, that's the thing. So you do that, man. Like I so said, that really helps helps us really if you, if you if you really want to be cool put 500 yeah that'll be pretty, pretty <laughs> we don't awesome. mind you put 500,000 <laughs> on there if you want to be super cool 500,000 i mean you can you can be a you can be the you, th- you can like be the a- third member of our podcast you could be on every episode <laughs> <laughs> free free you can have vip status at workshops you get free supplements <laughs> you know hell we might even fly in and do a special training session with you I mean, hell, with 500,000 i have the money to come of course, to the, of course <laughs> the only problem is we may take the year off from the from doing the podcast <laughs> <laughs> We're good, man. We both just got a quarter of a mil piece over here. I'm in France right now, buddy. So, yeah, man. So there you go, folks. Um, Another great show. And, okay, let the world know about it. Keep those reviews coming as well. iTunes, Stitcher. Put those reviews on there and rate us. All those things help improve the show and show that you support the show and you are now curing yourself of head out of ass syndrome. Yeah, yeah. Make make your goal yeah. in 2015 to isometrically remove your head that's been in your ass all the last year. I mean, some of you guys don't even realize that we have products, which means your head has been so far up your ass. You haven't even been to a you haven't even seen anything. You know, <laughs> so definitely isometrically remove. It. A couple of people have showed pictures of how they've actually done actually and how they've removed their head from their ass on put it up that on Twitter. Was man. That was freaking hilarious. <laughs> all right, folks. You have a good one. Oh, we'll talk to you next time. Take it easy, folks.